You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on our second week of our series entitled All That Matters. Everybody say, All That Matters. All That Matters is actually a, um, a series wherein we look at some of the teachings of Christ about finances, money, wealth, possession, and how He would actually expose things in the hearts of men that many times the things that we think that matters really is not what matters in the heart of God. And so He wants to clarify, you think this is what matters when it comes to finances, but this thing is much more important or valuable than what we value. So last week we talked about the story of the rich young ruler. How many of you remember that story, the rich young ruler? Okay, uh, and it is really a story of God or Jesus exposing uh, idolatry in the heart of this young man. He was a very religious man, a very influential man. Uh, in fact, what he said was, you know, I've done all these things, you know, the, the commandments when I was young, but yet, uh, what do I still lack? And so Jesus kind of exposed what really matters in the heart of that young man. It's not just about obeying the laws, but really he has put money as a God in his heart. So that was week number one. And today we're going to be looking at another thing that Jesus taught, and this time he was addressing the, you know, the crowd, but he was referring to the, far, the, the Pharisees or the scribes. Okay, So if you have your Bibles, we will dive in right away to the Word of God, Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23 verse 1. To seven, and we will be reading also verse 23 to 24. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Verse 6, And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Let's jump to verse 23. Let's all read this out loud altogether. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time this afternoon, we ask that you would speak to us as a church and even as individuals what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. And we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better as we study your word. I thank you, Lord God, that we would live out our faith with genuineness and not with hypocrisy, just like the Pharisees. Thank you, Lord God, that you will teach us what really matters in observing of your law and in the way we live our lives in relationship with others. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. If you open your Bibles 
you probably noticed that that particular chapter, chapter 23 of Matthew, is a chapter of rebuke of Jesus towards the Pharisees. So this is where we would actually see the seven woes, and I'm going to make comments on that. But what's interesting is we've read something in the last verse about a camel. Remember that? The very last verse that we read about the camel. And do you remember last week we talked about a camel? Remember that? Last week we talked about Matthew chapter 19. I tell you, it is easier for a what? Camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, I don't know why Jesus is fascinated with camels. He wants to use camels as a way of illustrating and exposing the hearts of men in a very exaggerated way. You know, he'd always talk about, you know, how, how can a camel fit into the eye of a needle? And so, in this particular case, he used camel again. Now, now, camel are not really dangerous animals. In fact, I had the privilege of seeing, you know, real ones. Uh, like a couple of years ago when we went to Abu Dhabi, me and my wife went there to minister in our church there with Pastor Ray Corpus. And uh, we went to this desert into a camel farm, okay? And so these are some of the camels in that camel farm. We drove into the camel farm, and lo and behold, the camels went straight to us, okay? And so this is how they look like in front of their windshield. Pretty much blocked our way, okay? I guess they got excited with the, the cars that came in. And so what we did was we went down the vehicle, and we tried to, you know, touch them and hold them. And so this is a picture of us, you know, trying to pet a camel. You know, they're really tame. They like humans, okay? In fact, I was tempted to bring one, okay? But anyway, uh, home. But uh, it's kind of too big for Cebu uh, Pacific, you know, for uh, the Emirates. But, uh, you know, we, we also tried riding them. And it, was, um, it is a beast of burden that uh, somehow when you ride them in the desert, they can actually last for days without water because that hump in their back is actually like filled with uh, extra jaws, okay, or extra, extra water, okay? And so they can actually last for days walking in the desert. So they carry loads for people. And so I don't really know why Jesus used camels as part of his illustration, but somehow camels are very familiar figures in the, in the desert. But what I believe is that Jesus wanted to expose the difference between external acts versus internal attitudes, okay? External acts versus internal attitudes. And so what he was saying is, be careful in following the scribes and the Pharisees because they say something, but they don't do what they say. They try to emphasize things that are on the external, yet their internal attitude is not aligned to the Word of God. The Pharisees are more concerned about the external details of the law and neglected the more important matters of the law itself. And so that is what we're going to be looking at. In fact, if you look at the, the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, you will notice that many times Jesus always emphasized on the issues of the heart, right? When he talked about adultery, he was not emphasizing on the physical act of adultery. What he said was, if you look at a, a woman lustfully in your eyes, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so it was more of like an internal attitude. Yes, you know, when we commit sin, there's the external form of sin, but yet it all starts from within, and so Jesus is exposing these things in the, in the lives of the Pharisees. That's why, you know, he talked about them and he started saying, woe to you, okay? You know, one by one, he had seven woes. And you know what the woes is? Dito yung woe, woe, 
It's woe as in like warning, it's a rebuke, okay? Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. Has anyone called you a hypocrite? Has anyone called you a plastic? Wow, isa kang plastic. Pag tinapo ka sa dagat, lulutang ka. Parang ganun, no? So, you know, it's, you know it's, it's painful for you to be able to hear that. But yet, Jesus was so straightforward in rebuking the Pharisees because what they are doing towards the people is they're hurting them instead of them bringing them good. So he said, Woe to you, you, you know, scribes and Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs full of man's bones, white on the outside, dead on the inside. Do you know people like that? Hope not. And then he said, he used the words, you brood of vipers. Wow. Sa Tagalog, kayo mga gagamba. Hindi, hindi gagamba. You brood of mga ulupong. Parang gano'n. No? This is a very strong statement coming from Jesus. You snakes, ahas ka talaga. And yet he had a point there. All the seven woes are basically exposing the heart of the Pharisees that they are more concerned about the externals, about how they look like, about their self-righteousness more than the righteousness before the Lord. And so there are three lessons that we can find from the text that we have just read, from verse 1, and then we jump to verse 23 to 24. First is, hate what Jesus hates. You know, Jesus, how many of you know Jesus is a person who loves us? He's a person who walks in love. In fact, he came here on earth because of love. He gave his life because of love. He loves sinners. He loved tax collectors. He loved people who are marginalized. But yet there are some things that he hates. There are some things that irks Jesus. Remember the time when he was in the temple? He was overthrowing the money changers. Because they turned the house of God into a, like a den of rubber. And so, you know, the zeal of the Lord consumes him every time. It is all about the heart of God, the people of God. He does not want anything that will hinder the people of God from coming back to God. And so the Pharisees were like roadblocks. The Pharisees were putting a burden on the people. They're putting more work. They're putting more hindrance instead of them being the, you know, the avenue or the instrument of God to lead people to the Lord. They are the ones that are causing them to stumble, causing them to stop, making it more difficult for them to come before the Lord. In verse 1, it says, For Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on which seat? On Moses' seat. In fact, this is the only time that you will... Uh, that this is referred to in Scripture, Moses' seat. What is the seat of Moses? Did Moses really have a seat? He was moving around, remember, in the desert with the people. But what is Moses' seat? Remember, Moses was the lawgiver. He was the one who received the law from the Lord on Mount Sinai. And so what they did in the synagogues or in the temple is there is such a thing called Moses' seat or Moses' chair. That every time a Pharisee would sit there, he is the guy in charge and every time he would read the law, it would reflect authority for him to be able to teach the people in order to obey the law. It reflects you know, that whoever is in charge of that Sunday is probably receiving honor and recognition uh, before the people because that is such a rare thing to happen in the life of a Pharisee. 
They are the ones who will tell the people of Israel what the law really meant. They claim that they're the only ones who could read the scriptures. They're the only ones who know what the Torah means. And so when they sit there, listen to what I say. So Jesus is saying to the people, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Mm. Because they do not practice what they preach. In verse 3, he said that, so do and observe whatever they what? Tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach but do not practice. In fact, the NIV is also interesting when he said, so you must obey them and do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Do you know people like this? People who actually claim to be someone who they're not. People who would say something and yet do another thing. When they would say, I'll be there at 3 o'clock, they would come at 5 o'clock and they would clarify, akala ko 3 in the morning, hindi 3 p.m. There are people like that. They're not really men and women of their word. You know, of course, we, nowadays we have contracts and we, have, we sign agreements because nowadays it's kind of hard to strike a deal with people unless you sign a contract and it makes it binding. But in those days, Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Beyond this, it's from the devil because all they do is just they, they will shake their hands a gentleman's agreement. My word is my bond. Whatever it is that I promise, I will deliver. But yet nowadays, it's kind of rare for us to see people who would actually do what they promise. Parents, when we promise something to our children, right? Whether it's, you know, bringing them to a, you know, a, a party or a mall or buying them something, make sure that you fulfill what you promise, right? Be a man of your word. That's why it's always good to say, you know, when your kids ask you for something, your response is, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. You and I will see. Someday we will see. Now, but the reality is, you know, we don't want them to just look to us as their source of provision. We want them to look to God ultimately as their source of provision. But yet the whole point here is, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees because, you know, it is more than just saying words. It's their lifestyle. They're projecting their holiness and their piety and their religiosity and they're living out, you know, like sinners from the inside. Hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, the Bible says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They say one thing, and yet they live out another way of life. Hypocrisy. Everybody say hypocrisy. Be careful of hypocrisy. A hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask and pretends to be somebody or someone that he is not. And I realize that sometimes Christians can pretend or can put up a facade that everything seems to be okay on the outside, but inside, you're not doing well. How many of you know that it's okay for you to be real? That's the reason why we have a spiritual family and a church community that's supposed to help one another. Where to, you know, the Bible says to confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You're not confessing so that you can be forgiven. 
We confess our sins to God so that we can receive forgiveness, but we confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed or we can be restored. Now, there's a big difference between authenticity and transparency. There's a difference there, okay? How many of you know that authenticity is what is required of all of us? We are to be authentic to people. Who you are in your home should be the same you in your office. Authenticity on. And who you are in your home and your office should be the same person that you are in church. Hindi yung may isa kang persona in church, okay? Pagka nasa church ka, praise the Lord, sister! Hi! Para ka spiritual butterfly. Woo! Pero sa bahay, para ka anak ng demonyo. Sa galit. Every time that you speak, laging merong curse or whatever, galit ka lagi. Para ka naka-high rev. So, opisina, ganun din. Pero pati sa church. Aba, bait. Talagang ano pa, yung talagang prim and proper. Hindi man lang sumusungit, laging nakangiti. Kasi nasa house ako ni Lord. Authenticity is being who you are wherever you are. The same you. Transparency, on the other hand, is the way of opening up our lives before others. All of us, we need to be authentic to everybody. But we can only be transparent before a few. I don't expect you to open up your life in social media. I want to be transparent to everybody, Pastor. I want to just open up my problems. Yung fight namin ng asawa ko, talagang pinag-hawayan pinag, uh, namin, nilagay ko sa social media para maging transparent ako. I'm not expecting you to do that. Hindi naman ganon. Okay? What we're saying is we're not perfect, but yeah, when you talk about transparency, there are a few people in your life. Church community. People that you trust that will stand with you and pray with you and correct you and rebuke you or guide you or encourage you and spur you on in order for you to live this Christian walk. Transparency. Yet when it comes to authenticity, when it comes to genuineness, when it comes to becoming real, God is expecting us to be true. We're not supposed to be plastic. We're supposed to be genuine people of God. And, and I, want to also, I want to also ask to be careful in here because... When you talk about Christianity, Christianity is a walk, right? Discipleship is a process. We're not all perfect beings. How many of you are perfect already? Anybody here is perfect? Be careful, kukunin ka na ni Lord, pagka perfect ka, okay? Graduate ka na pag perfect ka. Pero hindi pa tayo perfect, right? We're still work in progress. There are still areas in our life that God is dealing with, right? In the area of our thought, in the area of our speech, in the area of making a promise, in the area of promptness, in the area of making a commitment, in the area of faithfulness, in the area of holiness, we're still a work in progress. That's why we can't also, on the other hand, judge people and say, that guy is a hypocrite. Because he is not yet, I don't know, you know, though he's a Christian, he's coming here, but yet you know, there's inconsistency in his life. As long as the Lord is working in your life and you're submitted under His Lordship and the Holy Spirit is helping you every single day, you are better today than you were yesterday. How many of you know that is growth? That is progress. Who you are today is not you when you were last week. It's different. 
Because God is constantly molding you into the image of Christ. That's why we need to also be careful to judge people. Ayan, hypocrite yan eh. Hindi naman totoo yan eh. Be careful. Because with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Matthew chapter 7. That's why he said, do not judge. Or else you will be, you'll be judged. You know, sometimes we are so quick to see the speck in our brother's eye and we fail to see the plank in our very own eye. So Jesus is addressing this hypocrisy. And that's why he said, they tie up heavy burdens, heavy burdens, the Pharisees, heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. In fact, the Pharisees expanded the whole law, the Torah, Ten Commandments into 613 Commandments. They have a positive commandment. They have negative commandments. The negative commandments, there are about 365 negative commandments that people need to observe. One negative commandment for every day of the year. And about 248 positive commandments. And what they say is these are the number of bones in a whole man's body. Somehow they have put so much weight and burden on the people. If you want to be near God, you have to observe the law this way. The way you observe the Sabbath, it should be this way. Bawal pumindot ng elevator, bawal tumayo, bawal maglakad, pagkadalawang lakad, work na yan. Upo ka. Parang ganun. So it's a burden for them. It's kind of like putting a burden or a load of a burden on a donkey. The donkey is a, you know, a beast of burden, di ba? Jesus rode the donkey when he went to the Jerusalem, when they were shouting to him, you know, so Sanin is the son of David, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so he rode on a donkey. A donkey is actually some animal that carries on weight. But how many of you know that there's a limit to what a donkey can carry? You can't abuse a donkey by carrying a car, okay? That's sadistic. Or what about this one, okay? You put so much weight on a donkey... He can't even carry it anymore. He's being carried by the weight. Kawawa naman. Nagle-levitate na donkey. Or what about this poor donkey? Because of the heavy weight, collapsed already. And that's exactly what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. You put so much burden on the people. And you don't even try to lift it up with your own fingers. They do their deeds to be seen by others. And they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. The Pharisees do things to look pious and to look religious and to look holy before men. They would actually go out there and pretend that they are dressed up and they're holy. And they put on what they call phylacteries. On the forehead, there's actually a, a box that's made of leather. In part, a portion of the Torah or the law of God is inside there. And it's meant to remind them about the law of God, that it's an obligation to keep the law of God in their daily living. How many of you would like that to be the new uniform of the pastors? <laughs> I hope not. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Beware, everybody say, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. To be what? Seen by them? So that you can receive honor, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Watch out for hypocrisy. And I believe that as Christians, people who love God and people who attend our church, we don't want anyone to say we're hypocrites. We don't want the Lord Jesus 
to brand us as hypocrites, just like he branded the Pharisees. Yet I remember a, uh, a scripture in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Now, how many of you would say you love God? Please raise your hand. You love God. Of course. That's expected. We love God. We love God. This is the first commandment, and the second command is just like it. We need to love others as we love ourselves. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, just take note of this scripture. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. If anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? When we say we love God, is it really true that we love God if there's hatred or unforgiveness in our heart? And yet some of us have been offended. Some of us have actually been wronged. Some of us have actually been committed sin against, or maybe some of us have offended other people. How is that? How do we reconcile that? We need to make sure that in the same way as we declare our love for God, that we need to extend the same love for others so that we will not be branded like a Pharisee. How can we with our tongue praise the Lord and worship Him and with the very same tongue curse our brothers? or speak ill against them, or gossip against them, or speak behind their back. I hope that we will not do that. Amen. Second lesson that we can find in this particular text is to heed what Jesus endorses. Now, we've read a set of verses. We know exactly now what Jesus hates, and we also need to hate that sin of hypocrisy. But yet we need to heed what he endorses. To heed means to pay attention to, to take notice of, to pay careful attention to what he says. And so Jesus in this particular case is saying something in verse 23 that we need to take notice of. And let's read that, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, even their very herbs and seeds. Can you imagine? They tithe. And then he said these words, These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Yes, you say that you tithe, but you neglect the other matters of the law. Okay, Don't neglect the tithing, but also do the other stuff. In the NLT it says, You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. How many of you know that tithing is important in the heart of God? Amen. We just gave our tithe. And, you know, I'm so grateful for this church because you are a generous church. But yet, do we really understand what tithing is all about? You know, this is not a sermon because we're going to receive another offering. We just did that. But this is just to clarify what the Lord Jesus is saying about tithing, the importance of tithing, and yet there are other things also that are more important than tithing. But yet, don't neglect the tithing part. Some Christians nowadays are saying that, you know, tithing is an Old Testament practice. We don't need to tithe anymore in the New Testament. And because what they're saying is, you know, we're no longer bound by the law. We are under grace. And that's true. How many of you know that we are no longer bound by the law? We are under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. But yet, when you talk about tithing, tithing is really a reminder of who God is in our lives. In fact, 
in the New Testament is that it does not really expound more on tithing. Of course, Jesus referred to tithing. In fact, from his very mouth, he still used the word tithing without neglecting it. And the Apostle Paul is no longer referring to just tithing in the New Testament. In fact, he was talking about grace giving. He's talking about the grace of giving. Well, in other words, he's not just talking about the 10%. He's talking about the entire life that you have. We give it to God because God gave it to us anyway in the first place. Amen. So what is a tithe? You know, in fact, I was reminded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. A tithe simply means tenth. Everybody say tenth. Literally, it means 10%. Okay? And we're familiar with this. I know that I'm speaking to a people who know how to tithe and how to give. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. We talked about this in the previous series. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and so he offered this gift. He worshipped unto the Lord. You know, when you talk about tithing as you give your tenth, it is part of worship. During that time, they don't have instruments. Of course, they had, you know, David had instruments. But when they worship before the Lord, they don't just play an instrument and sing songs. You know how they worship the Lord? They worship the Lord by giving their best offerings before the Lord. Cain and Abel both worshiped the Lord by giving their offering. Yet Abel gave a more acceptable offering before the Lord because he gave his best and his first. Second thing about tithing is that first. Second thing is first. Okay? Bring the best of the first fruits of your ground. You shall bring it into the house of the Lord your God. When you talk about tithing, it is not left over. It is the first. It is not after paying all your bills and then the tithe. It is the first thing that we give to God because it's a reminder that God owns everything here anyway. Tithing means whole. There was a whole. Hindi yung butas, okay? Buo, okay? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And, you know, this is the only command wherein you can actually test God in this. And he said, test me in this if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out enough blessing for you to contain it. When we give to God and when we give back our tithes, I believe that we are actually, you know, giving an opportunity to be blessed more by the Lord. We're not doing it out of obligation. We're not doing it to coerce something out of the hand of God. We're doing it out of love. We're doing it out of worship. We're doing it out of gratitude. Because God gave to us first. It's easier for us to give back to Him. Amen. And that's what tithing is all about. It's tenth, it's first, it's whole, and it's holy before the Lord. Holy means separate. Holy means it's an act of worship. You give your entire body with it. A tithe of everything, in Leviticus chapter 27, from the land, whether grain from the uh, soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. Set apart, set aside. Something that reminds us that our God is a faithful God. Amen. I know that sometimes it will be difficult for us to tithe. You know, when you have a small income, it's easy to tithe, right? So, for example, if you're earning about a thousand a month, how much is a tithe for a thousand a month? 100 pesos, right? So, what if God sees your faithfulness and He gives you a promotion 
And from here on, from 1,000, he promoted you to 10,000 a month. So you're earning 10,000. How much is a tithe of 10,000? 1,000 pesos. Wow, ang laki na. Dati yun ay income mo, ngayon yan ay binibigay mo. What if God sees your heart again and He promotes you further and from 10,000, your salary is now 100,000 a month? Wow. How much is the tithe? 10,000, lumulunok ka na nun. It used to be my income, Lord. Now it's my giving. What if God opens up a door for business for you instead of you earning 100,000 a month, now you're earning a million a month. How much is the tithe? A hundred thousand pesos. Many times we focus more on what we give out and we forget how much is left and how much God has been faithful to us and how much has God has increased our fruit. Amen. God is always faithful. You can never outgive God. Come on now. Tithing is a part of our walk with God. Not because it is an obligation. God does not need our money. But it's a reminder that when we give back to Him, that He owns us and that He also will take care of all our needs. And yet Jesus talked about something that's more important than tithing. It is important. He said, don't neglect the tithing part. Importante yan. Do that. Tithing is both an act of worship to God and a willing attitude to help others. When you give, don't neglect the other part of the law. When you worship unto the Lord your God by giving your tithe, don't forget the second command, which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's a theologian by the name of Richard Foster that said, perhaps the tithe can be a beginning way to acknowledge God as the owner of all things, but it is only a beginning and never an ending. A tithing is just the beginning part of our rich generosity before the Lord. If the Apostle Paul took the time to emphasize in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, he was commending the church in Macedonia. What he was saying is, you know, this church in Macedonia is a very generous church out of their most severe trial and extreme poverty, but joyful giving came out rich generosity. They were in trial, they were in poverty, but yet out of that, they took us an opportunity to be generous because ultimately, they wanted to honor God and they wanted to just be hilarious about their giving. Number three, we need to highlight what Jesus emphasizes. First is hate what Jesus hates, and then heed what Jesus endorses, and highlight what Jesus emphasizes. We need to emphasize the essentials. What really is that thing that matters in the heart of God? In verse 23, uh, letter B, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. What he's saying is, yeah, tithing is important, but you have neglected the more important part of the law. Justice, mercy, and what? Faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. A man asked Jesus one time, what's the greatest command? And he said, love the Lord your God, all your heart, mom, so we, we talked about that. And then the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. We emphasize so much on the loving God. And that's great. We need to love God first. We don't have to have idols in our life. But yet sometimes we leave out the second commandment. 
the loving our neighbor. With the rich young ruler, this is the thing that he emphasized. He was so good in practicing kindness to people around him. He did not commit adultery, he did not murder, he did not you know, bear false witness. So he was bragging about that. But yet he had an idol in his heart, which is his money over God. In this particular case, it is the total opposite. Jesus was addressing the heart of the Pharisees. He was talking about the same issue of money, but in this particular case, you brag about your tithing. You brag about your religiosity. You brag about you following what is in the law, but that you neglect things about relationship, things about mercy, things about love and forgiveness, things about loving kindness, things about faithfulness. You neglected all this. Justice. When you talk about justice, what do you mean by justice? Justice is treating others the way you want to be treated. This is what justice is all about. Do you remember the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Do unto others what you want them to do to you. Unto you. It's all about you. That's the golden rule, right? The way you want it to be treated should be the same way that you treat others. And you know, many times we think about justice on the other side of the law. If somebody wrongs you, you got to collect. If somebody offended you, you got to get back. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. Mabunutan nga. Mapitik nga yung tenga. We're all about retaliation. But yet we are failing to see the other part of justice, which is on our part. Have we actually made things right so that it can be equal for both of us? Do you remember the icon of justice? A lady that's blindfolded with a scale and it should be equal. That's what justice is all about. Equality. And if somebody wrongs us, sometimes what we do is we try to collect from them. Mercy, what is mercy? Asking for forgiveness. Giving out mercy is also extending a hand of forgiveness. It's dropping an offense. And how many of us have been offended? We don't need to raise our hands. I think that's all of us. Whether in the office, whether it's somebody who gave you a promise, maybe it's some, you know, you're, you're part of your family, maybe it's a sibling, maybe anak mo, maybe your, your mom and dad, or maybe your spouse. How many of you have been regularly offended by your spouse? Don't raise your hand, especially that. Marami yon. And yet, we are said and we are told to extend mercy and grace. Do we know how to show mercy and forgiveness to others? We're so confident about the love of God towards us that when we confess our sins, the Bible says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. Praise God, right? We claim the promises on the cross. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When I come before Him, I am so confident that He will forgive me. How many of you have that confidence before the Lord? Amen. You have the confidence to approach the throne of grace. That you will receive grace and mercy in your time of need. How about us extending the grace and the mercy in other people's time of need? Have we been offended? The Bible says, it is the glory of man to overlook an offense. If you've been offended, all you got to do is to drop the matter and forgive and move on. 
But pastor, you don't understand. He has not even asked for forgiveness. Why will I forgive him, pastor? Unfair naman nun. You know, Jesus, when he was on that cross, the people did not ask for forgiveness. And you know the prayer of Jesus to the Lord, to God the Father? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. May that be our same prayer to the people who offended us. Lord, forgive them, or forgive him, or forgive her. I choose to drop the matter. In the same way that we pray the prayer of forgiveness, forgive us today as we forgive others. And so we pray that prayer, but yet we fail to extend the hand of forgiveness towards others. May we find it in ourselves to reconcile. The Bible says if you're about to offer a gift before the altar of God and you remember somebody who's offended with you, or you've offended somebody, what you are to do is to drop first the gift and then go to that person and be reconciled. And then after being reconciled, go back and continue offering your gift of worship before the Lord. Relationships matter before the Lord. He wants us all to be in unity. He wants us all. And I know that when you talk about relationships, though it matters, relationships can also be messy. Mahirap. Mahirap magmaintain ng relationships, right? Whether it's a best friend, whether it's an office mate, whether it's you know uh, a girlfriend, whether it's somebody like uh, you know uh, your fiance, or maybe it's your husband or your wife. It's so difficult. It's only by His grace that we can maintain this walk of unity towards one another. What about faithfulness? Faithfulness is the very nature of who God is. You know, in the, in the anniversary, we've always said, you know, God is faithful. You know, we thank God for His faithfulness in the past 20 years. And that is who God is. He is faithful and true. When Jesus comes back, that's going to be His name. Faithful and true. God wants us to be faithful. Faithful in our commitment. Faithful in our tasks. Faithful to one another. Never giving up. God's not going to give up on us. And in times of faithlessness, the Bible says, God remains to be faithful to us. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do what? Justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, kindness, humility. Similar thought with justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8 to 10, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Render true what? Judgment, justice, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow and fatherless and sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Faithfulness. It was written in the law many, many years before Jesus walked here on earth. And he was reminding them the more important aspect of the law. You tithe, that's nice, but don't neglect the more important matters, which is relationships. Extend justice and mercy. Be reconciled to one another. 
show the faithfulness of God through your life. In the same way you've been forgiven, extend a hand of forgiveness. The Bible says, he who is forgiven much, loves much. If you're able to experience the love and the forgiveness of God, I think it will be a little bit easier for us to release forgiveness and kindness to others because of how much God has forgiven us. Tithing matters. But giving it does not exempt us from focusing on what God truly values. Amen. And this is all about relationships. We're so familiar with the cross of Christ. And on that cross, 2,000 years ago, this thing about justice and mercy and grace and love and faithfulness have met each other on that same cross. At the cross, the justice and mercy and grace of God were fulfilled and His faithfulness and love have been revealed. Justice was served. Jesus paid the price for our sins. We all deserve to die. We all deserve to go to hell. For we're sinners. We fall short before the glory of God. But yet, Jesus sacrificed His life and justice was served. Mercy was extended because of that love of God for us by Him giving His life on the cross and the blood was shed. We're able to find mercy in our time of need. When we ask forgiveness from our Heavenly Father, what He sees is the blood of Jesus washed over us because of the payment for all our sins. Grace was given to us. Grace is an unmerited favor. Something that you and I do not deserve. But yet God lavished it on us anyway. We did not expect it to happen, but yet it came because of His great love. May we find it in our hearts to live out lives that are recipients of the benefits of God in these three areas of relationship. God restored us back to Him. And may we help be restored and be reconciled to other people as well. I know for some people it may take time, but as you pray and ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me get out of my pride. Help me drop the bitterness and the hurt. And it may not be easy. I'm not saying it's going to happen tonight, but it starts with the willingness of heart and the power of the Holy Spirit to change us from within. Amen? Can we just bow our heads right now as we come before the Lord. As we are bowing our heads and closing our eyes and if you are here this afternoon, maybe you remember and the Holy Spirit has prompted you. Maybe there are some relationships that have been severed. Maybe some important relationships in your life that you have cut off. Maybe God wants you to revisit those relationships and extend a hand of mercy and cry out to God for His grace for those things. If that is you, as every head is bowed down, every eye closed, this is just between you and God. If there's anything, any relationship, it needs to be recovered and restored. I want you to lift up your hand right now. Let's just lift it up before the Lord. Just ask, Lord Jesus, help us. Help me, Lord. It may be your parent, it may be your mom and dad, it may be your sibling, it may be a friend, it may be a child. It may be your spouse. It may be a business partner. It may be somebody here in church. It may be a friend, a small group leader. It may be a member of the small group. I don't know what that is. God knows. But that He is more interested in the matters of the heart 
more than just the matter of the law. So, Father, we lift up to you our relationships, God. Lord, as we lift up our hands, I pray that you would first forgive us for nurturing this hurt and this bitterness in our hearts and this unforgiveness. Help us, Lord, to release. Give us the grace to forgive. I pray that you would help us to extend mercy the same that you've extended your hand of mercy towards us. And you've declared us pure and justified. Help us to declare other people who've wronged us justified as well. Oh Lord, it's so difficult for us to walk in this path of relationships. But I thank you, Lord God, that by the grace of God, it is possible. So Lord, I pray that you would heal hearts even today. Just receive the healing of the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, minister to all of us even today, Lord. Remind your people, God, how much you love them, Lord. How much you lavished your grace upon their lives. How much you have taken care of them over all these years, God. You've been a faithful God since the time we were born. You sow us in our unformed body, Lord God, in our mother's womb until the time that we are growing up until this very day, God. And you'll always be faithful till the very last breath that we have in our lungs. Help us, Lord, to fulfill your call in our lives to honor you in the way we live, especially in the area of relationships, God. Heal hearts today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.